Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com easter24. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Hello, it has been a week, friend. (laughs) It has been a week. I am so excited to continue on our podcast on gaining self-confidence. We have a fantastic guest today with a topic that covers one of, I think, the most definitive words of my entire life. I bet you agree with me. I bet you this is one of your words too that just kind of triggers you. Almost. (laughs) So much of my life feels like it has been defined by almost. I feel like I cannot be alone in this. That word has to just make you cringe almost, right? So much of our life is defined by almost. And to tear into the almost of our lives that make us lose self-confidence, today we are going to sit down with Jordan Lee Dooley. But first, it is time for Hashtag Blessed, where we look at a current topic facing all of us with social media and decide whether it's a hashtag blessed or hashtag mess. Today, we are discussing the brand new social media app, Be Real. So I am really excited about this hashtag blessed today because there's a new app. I thought I'd seen them all. Apparently not. I had a student come up to me in class and ask me to be on their Be Real, which I had never heard of before. And I tweeted about it. And I heard from Mandy Majors, who has a podcast of her own called Next Talk. Mandy, first, before we talk about the new app, Be Real, what is Next Talk? Well, we're a nonprofit, but we started because nine years ago in the fourth grade, my daughter was exposed to pornography at school. And that Mm. was like a light bulb for me that as a parent, like I was just missing something. What happened was a kid had watched a pornographic video the night before, and he painted just a graphic picture of what he had seen. And my philosophy of not giving her a phone till she was 30 Mm -hmm. was a failure. Like she was still exposed. And so I was left Mm -hmm. wondering with how am I going to raise my kids in this culture to prepare them for it and not be afraid of it, but just like arm them. And so that's how we were born. When that happened in our home, it just sent me on a spiral. I started a small group at my church. It went from 20 to 200 in three semesters. And my church was like, wow. form a nonprofit. 
take this everywhere. And so that's what we've done. So I am absolutely having Mandy back. I already asked her, I said, can we please have a whole episode where we talk about this? Because I know that this isn't, I, I can't even tell you as a college professor, Mandy, we're going to get to be real people, but as a college professor, probably the number one thing I'm hearing from my young people is issues with pornography and the shame that it causes. And they're 12, 13, 11 when they started and they had no idea how it was going to affect their brain. So we are absolutely going to have you back probably May or June. Okay. So put yes. it in your calendar. We're going to have you back. But Mandy, be real. This new app, tell the people what it is. What are you seeing? Do you think it's cool? What do you think? Okay. So first of all, why I got Be Real was that nine-year-old that I just told you about, she just left for college. So she's 18 okay. now. So it's, you know, I've been in this nine years now and she just left for college and said, mom, I got this cool new app called Be Real. And I'm over here trying not to text her, give her her space, you know, let her grow <laughs> up. And, and so I'm like, oh, could I check it out? She's like, oh yeah, follow me. Well, open invitation. Like I'm on. <laughs> and so what I found though, is I really like it. Okay. So a couple of things that I love about it, there's no filters and you can't upload a photo. So you're taking it on the spot and it tells you when to take it and you have two minutes mm -hmm. to take the picture. Mm -hmm. So I love that the fact that you can't like think about it, make yourself beautiful. It just seems so much more real. Which is yeah. The name. You know, <laughs> it's funny because you know how like after the 80s where there was like lots of hair and makeup, then we went to like the next generation, my generation was like, okay, we're going to do natural, right? Abercrombie and Fitch was in all natural type looks. And I think that's what we're seeing now. After all these curated social media feeds, we have an app like Be Real, which just seems like it's exploding. All of my students knew what it was. I had never heard of it. And I want you guys to understand what Mandy just said. There's no filter and you can't plan it. So the app tells you when to post instead of you deciding how to curate your feed, which I thought was really, I liked it. I love it. I mean, my feed is full of like moms doing laundry, moms making dinner. Like I've gotten so many cool new recipes. Like it's just real stuff that's happening. But there are some things that you do need to be careful of. Okay. Um. So so one thing that's new in this social media that's unlike anything else, it when you take a picture, it takes with the front and back camera. Right. And right. so kids really need to know this because what if they're in the locker room and somebody's changing behind them? It's going to catch gotcha. like we have to be really careful about that. You could have your address on a computer screen behind you or personal information up like your social security number or something and it will capture that. We need to kind of have some conversations about that because it could capture some personal information that you don't want anywhere out there. And I will say I loved the front and back yeah. camera because my student was kind of standing in front of me. I'm standing behind her and it was showing both of us at the same moment, real, be real at the same time. But I do agree with you because it's like all of a sudden, I just think it brings up that conversation of privacy because other people are showing up on your social media feed that maybe never gave you permission <laughs> to put themselves on your feed. Well, absolutely. I'm hearing from a lot of teachers, like you, like in high schools and middle schools that are like, they're asking me to take this picture. I didn't realize I was going to be in the background of it. Like it's also taking a picture of me. <laughs> and so even if you're not going to be on it, you kind of need to know what it is because you're probably in somebody's be real out there. <laughs> Well, I'm interested in it. I encourage you guys, if you're interested in it, check it out, download it. But we are absolutely going to have Mandy back on the podcast. Thank you so much. What do you guys think? Be real. Is it a hashtag blessed or a hashtag mess? You decide. 
If you want to respond to our hashtag blessed segment today, if you have your thoughts on this topic, we would love to hear from you. Just type into your search bar, whether on Instagram or Twitter, type in at viral Jesus pod, and then just put a hashtag blast on the end of whatever your comment is, and we will see it. We would love to enter the chat with you. Jordan Lee Dooley is the two-time, put some respect on that name, two-time national best-selling author of Embrace Your Almost and Own Your Everyday, and is the host of the top-rated podcast, She. Jordan has built a massive social media community of over 850,000 members. She is the queen of Embracing Your Almost. She wrote a book about it. So Jordan, I like to start by reading to my guests back something that they wrote online. And I went through your Instagram (laughs) and you say this, it is not unkind or unchristian to say no. Mm -hmm. That post got nearly 10,000 likes and it struck me because I think that is really unique perhaps to the Christian experience Mm -hmm. to feel bad for putting a boundary. So I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit for us. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very in line with what you just said. You know, I think as Christians, sometimes we want to be servant hearted. We know we're called to serve. We want to give, we want to go above and beyond. But I think sometimes we don't know the difference between, or we have a hard time determining the difference between, you know, kindness and serving and also then being a doormat or or overextending ourselves to where I think what can happen sometimes is even as Christians, the reality is we're still human and we can burn out, we can overwork, we can pour from an empty cup. And I think what can start to happen is we actually start doing things with resentment or bitterness in our heart because Mm. we said yes to it and it sounded like a great idea at first, but now we're three months into some commitment that we really knew we probably shouldn't have added to our plate. So now we're showing up begrudgingly. We're showing up maybe even frustrated or just trying to keep our head down and get through whatever, you know, maybe it's a a volunteer activity or a social thing or whatever it may be. And people can read that. So I guess I've had to learn the hard way that sometimes it's actually better to say no to things that really aren't right for the season of life that you're in, or that would be too much to where if you audit the opportunity or the, the request in front of you, and you're like, I don't think I have the capacity to really show up genuinely and well and like mm. from a place of overflow, that actually would probably be better to say no to so that in the things I am doing, I can show up with the love of Christ so that I can show up with the ability to um, really serve, I guess is the way I'm trying to say yeah. it, without necessarily that bitterness or that exhaustion, starting to taint the experience, you know, or the impact we might be able to have. So I guess the heart behind it is sometimes the nicest thing you can, or the most Christian thing you can do is say no. I look at how Jesus lived. He took space. He Mm -hmm. didn't just, you know, do everything he was requested to do. So I think we can learn from that. And I think we can take that and remember, like, they may not feel good. We may not, you know, please everyone in learning how to find the right things to say yes to and then saying no to the wrong things, we're going to be able to give so much more of what matters to the things that we have said yes to already. Walk me through for you how maybe that philosophy has even progressed through your own professional (laughs) rise and success, right? Mm -hmm. I had a mentor once say to me that like the person that you want to be 20 years from now, be that person now, Mm -hmm. assume the role. Mm -hmm. And so maybe in the beginning, did you say yes to everything? And then you learned it's not sustainable or just walk me through that progression for you. Well, especially professionally, you know, I I feel like a lot of what I started with, it all kind of evolved as an accident. Like I just thought it was going to be this hobby, maybe a little side hustle and just kept growing and evolving. 
And as that was happening, it was exciting. And I also was newly, you know, graduated from college, needed a bank account that needed funding. I also was on fire for the Lord and trying to like do all of these impactful things. So I found that I was just saying yes to pretty much every opportunity that came across my plate because mm-hmm. I didn't want to miss my opportunity. You know, I was right. like, okay, well, yeah, we'll add that. And sure, I'll come speak for free. It's <laughs> fine. We'll figure it out. You know, I was just doing one thing after another. And some of those things ended up being really worth it. Some of those things were yeah. good. So it's sometimes kind of a judgment call on like, should I go for it? You know, then I hit a place of burnout a few years in yeah. and I was like, okay, <laughs> if it's truly like a God-given opportunity and it's something that's meant for me, it's not going to pass me by. And if I have to say yes. no because my plate is full or, you know, I just don't have the capacity, then I have to trust that like it's not the end of the road and it's not my one and only opportunity. And so I started to identify the things that felt right to say yes to in this season and the things that were like, unless it meets this criteria, I'd probably need to say no. Things like traveling to speak and things that were a little bit more of a commitment and uh, and wore on me physically, wore on me, you know, mentally, emotionally versus, you know, doing a podcast interview or something. So I just had to kind of start gauging what are the things that are realistic to say yes to versus what are the things that maybe I need to have some criteria to say yes to? And even some of the simpler things, I also had to start looking at it seasonally because if I was in the middle of a book launch or in the middle of a month that I had just, you know, it was very full. I had to start telling my assistants and my team, like, hey, afternoons are off for me, like not off from work, but I'm not doing calls or interviews because I need that mm-hmm. time to pour into this project that I have a deadline on. So I kind of had to learn the hard way through adrenal fatigue and burnout and like right. even starting to resent um, working in the faith space personally. Mm. I started to feel like, oh my gosh, this is so annoying. People are not representing Jesus well. Like I was so irritated by it all. And I started to realize like, that's probably a red flag. Like I'm getting really annoyed by the people I genuinely love serving most of the time. So Mm. that was kind of between that and also experiencing some actual real burnout that was proven to me physically through a medical exam (laughs) and some blood work and stuff. I really started to make the shift at that point. And it's a work in progress. You know, there's times where I probably still say yes to things and I'm like, eh, that probably wasn't the best yes. But I try to be a lot more (laughs) intentional and discerning about the decisions that we do take on because there's constantly, especially as things grow and evolve, there's constantly a, hey, do you want to speak on this summit? Hey, do you want to come to this conference? Hey, can you? And those are all like, it's such a gift to have those opportunities. But we've gotten to the point where I think now we say probably no 60 to 70% of the time. And before it was more like 90% of the time we were saying yes. So Right. You encourage people who are caught in the tension of where they started and where they want to be to use this as a period to slow down, kind of mm-hmm. what we're talking about, and gain clarity. Yeah. What did the slowing down process look like to you? And you seem like a high energy person. So <laughs> as you're slowing down, did it feel like I'm losing, <laughs> but you're actually gaining? Um, A little bit. You know, I feel like I walked through some suffering. I walked through multiple losses, pregnancy losses. I walked through mm, right around the same sorry. time COVID hit. So it was like there was a lot of just traumatic experiences in the hospitals and like just various different things kind of all back to back really close. And it was so jarring for me to feel like there was this global crisis happening and fear everywhere on top of my own personal crisis and surgical experiences that went sideways and all of these things. And to be honest with you, I think part of my experience as a high energy person, it's like I could cognitively know I should probably slow down. And it wasn't until I walked through something that honestly laid me flat on my back to where I like Mm -hmm. didn't have any other option. And it was like so jarring for me that that was the first time I actually had the chance to pause and like look around and reevaluate and really consider like, how do I need to be doing this differently? And 
what do I really value? And where am I going from here? And what are we doing and why? Because otherwise, I think when we you know, are just doing one thing after another and living life as usual and doing business as usual, we don't really stop to think about that because there's always one thing after another that we need to take care of or that we're responsible for or that we have opportunity to you know, take charge with. And so all of that said, it was through something that really kind of laid me flat on my back. I was like forced to slow down. Mm. It was like, a choice in that I knew it was something I needed to do, but I really don't know that I would have had something not so jarring kind of been the thing that made me pause and made me be like, wait, life just blew up in my face. What do I do with this? And how do I pick up the pieces and pick up the right pieces and maybe leave the ones that are not necessarily right or not helpful in this situation? So I really, I always say adversity can create clarity. And I really believe that's true Mm. because that was kind of the result of my own experience. Not only did it force me to slow down, it kind of forced me to step back and take a look around. And I think we can do that in any kind of setback or disappointment. It doesn't always have to be tragedy or deep, deep suffering. I think sometimes the setbacks in our life or the disappointments we walk through, they feel like huge obstacles. And in many ways they are. But I also think they hold a really unique opportunity that we otherwise don't get because we're just, you know, on the hamster wheel of life doing the next thing. Right. And it's when something sets us back or is jarring and kind of makes us look around that maybe we get the first opportunity to slow down. And I know that was my experience anyway. In that experience with the miscarriages, being a public figure, mm-hmm. what did that process look like as far as deciding, I'm going to share this too? Yeah. You know, because you didn't have to do that. Yeah. So the first time that it happened, I thought it was a complete fluke. And I was like, this surely won't happen again. I'm 25. I'm young. I'm healthy, to my knowledge. Um, And so I shared that just because I felt like, you know, I think the hard thing about something like pregnancy loss and miscarriages, it's almost like an unseen grief. And I think that Mm. for me, like, was the challenge. It's almost like, there's not a validation for so many. And I was thankful to have some family and friends that were very validating of the experience. But I realized, wow, like if you don't have people who view life the same way or who don't value it in the same way, like Mm. it could be a very isolating experience. So that's kind of what led me to share my experience and really speak on it from a first, you know, from my perspective. But then when it happened again, um, I was actually much further along. I was into my second trimester at that point. I'm so sorry. And so we had done our announcement photos, like, you know, all of that. I mean, the first one was sad. The first one was heartbreaking. The first one was kind of shocking. Um, But I didn't feel despair. I felt like, okay, this is a hard experience. I know I'm not alone in it. I'm going to share it to encourage others that they're not alone. And we're going to move on and we're going to go have babies. You know, Mm -hmm. like that was kind of where my head was. And two months, three months later, I got pregnant again and everything was progressing as normal, had three or four completely normal ultrasounds, got to the point where we were seeing like arms and legs kicking and everything. Mm. So it was like real, you know, it was happening. And I I hope this isn't triggering for anyone who's walked through something similar, but maybe put a trigger warning yeah. on that. But it was just like this completely shocking thing. It was completely routine ultrasound right around like 13 and a half, almost 14 weeks. And we, you know, were at that point. And so anyways, all of that said, it was so jarring and so traumatic for me. But part of the reason I chose to share that one is because at that point, I felt like I didn't really have a choice. And the reason for that is, A, we had pretty much told all like colleagues, family, friends, all of that kind of stuff. Gotcha. But also the other reason I chose to share it on social media is because I knew like it was going to disrupt all the plans that I had for the summer and a lot of the things that I had already started doing with my community. For example, at the time, I was running live workshops and I knew it was going to disrupt some of the the timing of that because I was like, there's no way I can jump on a workshop next week and like teach this, you know? So I didn't want to make some vague like, hey, we're going through some hard things type post 
because I knew that would lead to a lot of speculation of like, are they getting a divorce? Is she, is there a scandal? Like what's going, so I just felt like I just need Mm. to put out what's actually happened. And I don't know if that's entirely true. Like I look back, I'm like, I don't know why I thought that, like I had to share that so quickly, but I felt like I just wanted to be honest and transparent. And in some ways I think it was good to share. I also felt like though there was a downside to that because then I took a long break. I felt like, okay, I need to figure out what's going on. This maybe isn't a fluke. At that point, I felt complete despair. And I think the downside to sharing Mm. at that time was that I then started to feel like I was labeled the miscarriage girl. Like everyone wanted me to give them advice on miscarriages. And I was like, I don't know. I'm just trying to survive this, you know? So there's pros and cons to sharing that. I think overall, I'm glad I have shared my story, but it definitely came with some downsides and challenges I hadn't anticipated. And I kind of had to stop talking about it for a while. For about a year there, I just like refused to talk about it. I didn't give any updates. Um, and I think that was actually pretty healthy and helpful to say, okay, now I'm drawing a boundary. <laughs> like, okay, now I'm not giving you live play-by-plays yep. of everything. So anyway, that's a long-winded answer, but it was kind of different in each case as to why I chose to share. It really fits though, honestly, with our show in the idea of what happens Because you said it kind of just happened in creating this Mm -hmm. online community that now is nearly a million people, right? Who feel very much, I've gone through, I I really research people before they come on. I've been going through your feed. I mean, people really feel like you are their friend, right? And Mm -hmm. so what happens as life happens and things get bigger? You know, at first you're starting with this small thing and now you post something and it can show up on you know, USA Today, you don't know who's going to pick it up. Mm -hmm. That responsibility, what is that like? You know, I think it's a huge privilege and it's a a gift in many, many ways. It definitely comes with some challenges. Mm. Like I said, I've had to learn how to be transparent, not always vulnerable on the internet. The way I've heard that described is transparency is when you share something that you have experienced, it's almost like standing in a box that's like glass, right? And somebody can see through the glass box. Vulnerability Mm. is like shattering the glass box and letting someone come in and sit in it with you, right? Which is like not even possible on the internet. But I've just had to learn how to do that well and to almost do that from an arm's distance to where I've learned, okay, you don't have to share every detail of something. You Mm -hmm. don't even have to share it live. Like there's some things happening in our life that I've not shared on social media and some really good things, some hard things. And I'm like, I kind of have learned I have to separate the timing. Maybe it's not best to just share that within the first two days of knowing something or, you know, in the live. I think on social media, we've gotten used to giving live play-by-play updates of our life. And in some areas, that's okay. But Mm -hmm. I kind of came to the conclusion of like, I'm not here to be a vlogger. Like, I'm not here to, you know, welcome people into every sacred detail of my life. Does that mean I can't share something that's personal or authentic or a story that they could connect with maybe from a couple of years ago or even from you know a couple of months ago or even just share a feeling that everyone can connect with without sharing all the details of the story attached to that feeling? Like that's what I've had to pivot into to best steward still mm-hmm. connecting because I really think when you are a writer and a storyteller and a person who connects with others, you kind of create this soul tie. So I kind of have had to learn how to walk the balance beam of how do I still connect with people and speak to their heart and serve them without like airing out my dirty laundry? Because I think that's a line we've had to learn how to walk a lot more on social and it's gotten pretty popular to air out our dirty laundry. And so anyways, I think that's where the responsibility of something like, okay, this is bigger than just like, you know, me sharing a couple thoughts or stories, it's actually become a a brand. Mm -hmm. It's become a much bigger beast than what I anticipated originally. So over time, I've just had to learn, how do you do that? And again, still a work in progress. But I think taking into account the responsibility of stewarding the hearts of people 
that are involved, but also the responsibility of the platform that God's given. Learning how to do that with tact and with grace and with with boundaries and also unapologetically like being willing to stand true to your values or, you know, being willing to draw a line in the sand and say, no, you can't come in here right now. You know, we're not going to share that detail or we're not going to dive deep into that story or we're not going to give more than, you know, what it feels comfortable. So hopefully that answers your question, but I think it is a responsibility. It's also a gift, but I think learning to walk that balance beam is the challenge with it. And so what would you say to somebody who's listening right now and they're at the beginning Mm -hmm of this career and they have no idea what it's going to be, but would you give them the same advice that now you're taking? Yeah, I would. I also think if you're at the beginning, like I look back, I'm like, part of the reason I grew wasn't because I I think this is what's hard about social media now is we see a lot of people who are kind of in like a quote unquote influencer role or author role. And they share bits and pieces of their own story and their life and their face is showing up there and all that. That's great. But I think a lot of times we think like, oh, if I just do that, I'll like have the same influence and platform and growth. And what I found is, well, that's not how I grew. People didn't really care about my own like personal life or anything about me as a person. When I first started, I had a very niche-focused page for a long time and then eventually transitioned it into more of a personal brand. And so I encourage those who are wanting to like grow and reach people, like have a niche that you speak to, have a certain type of content mm. you put out consistently. Don't be afraid to, you know, have a little bit of a separation between your personal and your professional life as you're building that. You can integrate more and more of your personal life as it feels appropriate if that's something you want to do or your personal stories. I think that's a better way to say it. But I think I just always advise people like make sure that you have a very clear focused topic because it's not like you're just going to blow up as an influencer overnight. You know, you could with a viral video or something. But again, then you have to decide, is that type of video something I want to continue creating on? Right. So anyways, all of that said, yeah, those are the two main things I would say. Your latest book is called Embrace Your Almost. Talk to us about what made you write that book. So the book, it was kind of interesting because I originally planned on writing something slightly different. And then as I was in the process of writing it is when kind of my life imploded, if you will, kind of as I mentioned earlier. Right. And there was a lot of redirects and setbacks and hey, no, we're going back to the starting line or this went sideways. And also a lot of professional things like because of the timing, it wasn't just my pregnancy losses that were disruptions because of the disruptions of the losses, but also of everything going on with COVID. I had all these professional disruptions and we eventually sold our house later that year because we were like, this is too stressful. We had like a three acre property old farmhouse. We were like renovating it. And we got to the point where we were like, this doesn't make sense. But it was hard to let go of something like that because that was going to be our dream home. That was going to be the place we raised our family. And we just realized that we needed to simplify. So all of that said, there were all of these in the concentrated year, there were all of these like, Mm. I almost had a baby, but then I didn't. I almost had my dream home. We had gotten through several projects and then we didn't. And then we almost launched this program with my business. And all of that said, you know, I felt like a lot of the messaging that I was finding around just like unmet expectations, it took kind of embody all of that, some heavier than others, you know, I felt like a lot of the messaging I was seeing was, if it doesn't work out, just get up and try again. And that Mm. was originally what my first manuscript kind of said in so many words, and then turned in the first manuscript on June 1st of that year. And then June 10th of that year is when, and I kind of finished the manuscript with this, like, I'm pregnant again now, like life's working out, things are beautiful, whatever. And then 10 days later is when we found out that we had lost that baby as well. And so my whole world imploded and my editor texted me and she was like, hey, I'm so sorry, you know, take your time, but I'm not going to edit the manuscript you sent over. I know you're probably going to want to rework some things. So let me know when you want to touch that. So it kind of evolved into this book Mm. about like what happens when you do get up and try again and you still run into a brick wall? What happens when you give your best effort and you do all the right things and things still go wrong? And I didn't really feel like there was a book about that. And so 
it's not a book about grief or loss. Those stories are in there, but there's also all sorts of stories, stories of my husband's NFL career, not quite panning out how we thought and kind of his like, you know, experience with that and how that affected both of us and selling the house and career setbacks. Like there's all these different stories, but I just felt like, okay, this book needs to speak to the person who's like, I've done that. I, I'm and I'm freaking tired, you know. And I really found that, like I said, through adversity, I gained a lot of clarity that I had been looking for, but unable to find just by expecting it to land in my lap. And I also really had to learn what does contentment look like when you're nowhere near where you thought you'd be in life, like when your life was on trajectory to look like A, but instead it looks like Z, right? And trying to make peace with that and find how do I make the most of where I'm at and find contentment. What does contentment really mean? And so that's kind of what the book evolved into and what inspired me to say, you know what, I'm going to write a book for the person who goes, this cliche advice isn't working for me. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19 and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. So I teach communication um, to university students. Mm. And something I hear all the time from my students is, how do I know when to let something go? Mm. How do I know when it's just like, I'm supposed to work harder and dig deeper? Or when it's like, this isn't for you, what would you say to that? Yeah, I have a whole chapter about that in the book. One of the stories I tell was about closing the first business I started, the thing that got me started, because I felt like I lacked a lot of clarity And therefore, it didn't feel very sustainable, even though at the time it was working. And Mm. I was having a really hard time knowing, like, do I just keep pressing forward on this and, like, hope I get the clarity I'm looking for and just hope that we sustain it? Do I take a step back? And so one thing that really helped me was seeking counsel. And I did that by, like, identifying a handful of people that were close enough to my life and my, my business and my situation to know, like, the heart behind it and what we were doing but also not as emotionally invested because I think it's really hard to look at some of our decisions through an objective lens. And so whether that's, you know, maybe letting go of a relationship that you're not sure is entirely healthy anymore, or maybe letting go of the career path you were thinking of pursuing because you're realizing like, I'm not actually enjoying this, or this is, you know, not what I thought it would be or something else. Um, Seeking counsel from a few trusted voices in your life. I had like a mentor, a business mentor, my husband, my mom, and I think I picked like a one other person in my life. And so I I think it's really helpful, though, to set a little bit of a limit on that because 
otherwise we can like talk ourselves into circles and say like, okay, I'm going to talk to so-and-so. Now I'm going to go get so-and-so's opinion. Mm. And then we also start confusing ourselves in the process of just seeking so much advice that we're like, well, everyone's telling me something different. So I identified a handful of people, like pick a number, say these four people is who I'm going to talk to, or these five people and kind of express to them where you're at and where you're kind of wrestling and see what their insight is. And what I found was the majority of people I talked to were actually very affirming of my sense that maybe I needed to take a step back and close what I was doing for at least a season. I didn't know if it would be forever or for a season. And I think that's something to remember is sometimes letting something go isn't always a permanent situation. Mm. It's just, it's not right for now. And actually, if you take a step back, you get the clarity you need of, oh, this is what I need to do for this type of career to work out or for this type of opportunity to work out or for this to make sense. So it's not always forever. It just depends on the situation. But seeking counsel and setting a bit of a limit on like how many people you're going to talk to or how long you'll give yourself to make the decision because otherwise we can kind of stall and procrastinate. That's a really helpful way of, of doing it or of making that decision. And then I also think really considering, you know, are there other ways to go about this? Like, for example, maybe there's something you're pursuing and you're finding like, okay, this isn't working. Have you exhausted other options? Have you tried other routes to get to the end goal? Have you tried other, maybe it's like other companies to work with or, Mm. you know, other options of how, like, let's say you kind of have to dig deep into what do I really want out of this? Like, what do I actually really value? Because you might say like, for example, in my husband's NFL career, he was playing football professionally. Then he got cut two weeks before our wedding from the Steelers. And everyone wow. thought like we were loaded because he played in the NFL. He made $300 a week. So like, wow. he took a pay cut from his entry-level job to play in the NFL, which is what we always joke. Like everyone has the idea that like if you play in the NFL, you're great. But he was a free agent. So it was a little bit different. But anyways, he played for several months of the Steelers, played in the preseason, and then was cut right before we got married. And we were like, what do we do? Anyways, the door just seemed to keep closing. Like he was supposed to go to a camp and was training for that and then got an emergency appendicitis and couldn't do that. And like just one thing after another, we felt like, okay. So what he did is he drew a line in the sand because what can happen when we're pursuing a dream, especially something like professional sports or something else, there's always going to be another workout. There's always going to be another thing. It was making him crazy. He's like, Mm -hmm. I could just like keep you know, training and not like advancing in my career and being able to make any moves because I'm just like so like kind of stuck in this, maybe it'll work out. No, it doesn't. Maybe it'll work out. So what he did is he drew a line in the sand and he said, if I'm not on a team by May 1st of that year, then I'm done. If a team calls me on May 2nd, it's done. So I think it's helpful where you're like, if you just feel like you're kind of aimlessly doing something and you're kind of spinning in circles and it's starting to be unhealthy for you and doors seem to be closing, sometimes drawing a line in the sand too, as much as that's hard, is helpful. So seek counsel, consider, have I pursued all options? You know, have I tried this a few different ways? And if so, and it's still not working out, should I maybe take a step back and release it a little bit? Have I tried to make this work? And then thirdly, sometimes it can just be helpful for your own mental health to say, okay, if I feel like it is time to take a step back or I can't do this forever, then just draw a line in the sand for yourself because that's a very definitive thing. If that day comes and goes, if it's two years from now, if it's six months from now, if that day comes and goes and X, Y, or Z still hasn't worked out, then you've made the decision for yourself and you can mm-hmm. say, okay, I can release that now. So hopefully that's helpful. But those are a few helpful steps to take when you're just like, I don't know when to let it go, if I should let it go, where to go from here. Sometimes those those steps can be really helpful. Talk to me a little bit about your origin story. How did all of this evolve <laughs> for you? Talk, yeah. You said you had just graduated college. Take me back to 22-year-old Jordan yeah. and what her plans were and where you are now and how you got there. So, well, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. So okay. we, we joked because at one point, 
when I was in college and my brother was finishing high school, all four of us in my family, my parents, my brother and I, we all owned our own businesses. <laughs> and, oh, wow. Uh, or no, my brother was a freshman in college, I think at that point, because I was a senior and I started in college. And so my dad owns a business that he runs. My mom owned a business that she ran. And my brother was doing like lawn care and kind of had his own small business. And oh. then I had started my business. And so we were all like, look at us. We all four have businesses. But I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. And one of my very first jobs was actually servicing one of my parents' investments. They had gone in with some friends of theirs on a gumball machine side hustle. So they bought like, I mean, it was like a kid's paradise walking into their garage and seeing like 100 gumball machines all lined up against the wall. But anyways, so my mom, I'd go with her and she would go like pitch these gumball machines to Pizza Hut and Great Clips and all of these different places. And then those that said yes, we would place them in. And then every month or so, we would go back and service the machine, meaning we'd collect the quarters out of it. We would clean out the outside. We would, you know, restock the gumballs. And then my brother and I would get, you know, a couple dollars and quarters for helping throughout the day. So that was one of our first experiences with work and entrepreneurship. And I just kind of learned from an early age, like money is not hard to make. You just have to learn how to be creative to go find opportunities, right? Mm. So I think that was kind of what informed because when I first started with my Etsy store, which was the very first thing I did in college, it was meant to be a creative outlet. My husband, but boyfriend at the time, I was like kind of a straight A student, hardworking, you know, kind of drove myself into the ground that way. He's like, you need a creative outlet. You're good at this hand lettering thing. You should, you know, maybe start an Etsy store. And so I was like, okay, like, I don't really know what Etsy is, but I looked into it and I thought, yeah, I'll throw some things up there. And then I got my first sale and then I got another sale and I just started to become like addicted to this like opportunity. I thought it was the coolest thing, especially like when strangers on the internet are buying things. It's not like your mom's friend. And so anyway, um, we always joke that like he asked me to get a hobby and I turned it into a full-blown career. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyways, all of that said, you know, I think my growing up really informed, like just naturally being entrepreneurial minded, looking for opportunities in ways that I thought it was just going to be a hobby. Um, And then it just kind of evolved from there. It turned into, I started to find ways to print my products instead of having to hand make them and print them in bulk and then ship them out. And I would pay my roommates in like pizza and Cheez-Its to come help me. And we were packaging all of these items, you know, mugs that I was shipping out and t-shirts and journals and all these things we were making. A lot of it was like wedding signage and stuff, but we were shipping all this out from the third floor storage closet in our sorority house. So Mm -hmm. That was kind of how the whole thing got started. And then I was just storytelling naturally because that's just what I do. I didn't really think much about it, but I was writing alongside images of whatever I had created that I was sharing Mm. or, you know, doodles that I would create about a Bible verse or a quote or something. And I would tell a story or I would, you know, put something encouraging up there and it would get shared and shared and shared on Facebook and things like that. And so that's kind of how my community started growing. And um, yeah, that was kind of the origins of how it all got started and how it kind of naturally, you know, I was always writing in one way or another. But that just kind of evolved into then events and getting asked to speak and then publishing a devotional because I was telling a lot of like stories of faith and body image and relationships and things like that. And my initial audience was a lot of college women because I was, you know, college girl myself and had just graduated and gotten married. So I went back and spoke to a lot of sororities around the United States um, and a lot of events on college campuses. So that's kind of what led to then saying, oh, I should write some devotionals and oh, I, and then that led to publishing books and one thing after another. So it all kind of, evolved from a small little Etsy store (laughs) and servicing gumball machines as a kid. (laughs) You talk in your book about redefining success. What does that mean? And why do you recommend that we all take some time to do it? Well, you know, I think a lot of times we focus on success to mean solely the outcome that we're aiming for. And that's Mm. certainly a part of it. Like that's not incorrect. But I look back in the book, I talk about this garden that I started that was the summer after we walked through both of our losses. And I just needed like a hobby. (laughs) I just needed something that was kind of healing for me. And so we started a garden. 
But I did not know that we should not start gardens in Indiana in August. That's like the end of the season. And so (laughs) it didn't work out really well. Like my harvest was not nearly what I expected. Pretty much by October, I had like one kale plant that just survived. It's not like anything really grew. And I got four kale leaves out of the whole garden. That's it. (laughs) Nothing else. And so I tell that story in the book to kind of lay this kind of principle out that on the surface, if we're judging success or measuring success in terms of the physical harvest, we would call that a failure, right? But if we were measuring success by just the fact that I kind of learned to slow down that summer and would go out there every morning and like water my plants and tend to my garden and do everything I could, you know, and even just the fact that, yes, I only got four kale leaves and that kind of feels like a failure compared to what I expected, but also that's also a reminder of what's possible. Like it was like, I could look at that as a failure or I could look at it as a reminder that, I actually did grow something. I just need Mm. to make some adjustments and tweaks the next time around. If we look at and measure success more from the perspective of who did I become in the process? How did Mm. I learn a new skill? How did I learn what not to do? Um, Did I learn to slow down? Did I learn to tend to my life a little bit more rather than just racing through it? Yes, actually I did through that process. And that was actually very healing and helped me move forward. So there was a lot of success there, even though I may not have the garden harvest to show for it. And I think that's true in a lot of the things we... Yeah. pursuing a lot of the endeavors we do. Like you may not always get the the results or the outcome you wanted on the first try, but did it make you better? Did it help you grow? Did it teach you new lessons? And so I think if we can include that definition of success within how we view it, we're going to have a much fuller perspective of what we're really after in life. And I also think it's important to redefine success because I think a lot of times we arbitrarily pursue things. We live mm. in a world that's constantly telling us you can have it all, Right. And I think that therefore makes us think we should want to have it all. And I think what happens is we kind of start to arbitrarily pursue goals. We see somebody else hit six figures. So we think we should, or not that that's a bad goal. Mm. It's just kind of, we randomly say, oh, I want to lose 10 pounds. Oh, I want to make six figures. Oh, I want to have a four bedroom farmhouse. Random stuff that maybe really is right for you. But I think sometimes when we actually can take a step back and go, what do I actually value? what's most important in this season Mm. of my life and why, we might find like you don't care to break glass ceilings or you don't care to be the number one in your industry. You just want to give your best, but you're not going to work yourself into the ground at the expense of your health or your family or your marriage because you're trying to hit number one for what? You know what I mean? So I think Mm -hmm. redefining success is really critical to pursuing the things that are right for you and, and focusing your time, talent, and energy on what God has for you and not, you know, what you think you should do or what you think would be cool or impressive or something else. And I think in my own experience with some really painful setbacks and loss and those kind of things really are perspective shifters. I realized like, man, I didn't start off with the intent to write best-selling books and like do all these things that kind of sound flashy and cool and fun, but I kind of got caught up in the achievement of it all, right? Because when you hit one level, Mm. what's the next expectation? Well, you're going to try to double it and you're going to try to double it. And so the finish line is always going to feel like it moves. That's really hard to feel content and satisfied in your life when you're constantly just chasing the next thing. So that's why I think redefining success for yourself is so critical because otherwise we just get on this hamster wheel of the next thing and the next thing and the next thing without really stepping back and identifying what's the right thing. I love that. I do this thing where I ask people online, if you got to sit down with my guests, what would you ask them? And so I have some questions that people sent in for you. Ovimbo asks, who is your inspiration and who has mentored hmm, you? That's a good question. You know, I'm really I bad at so having too. like inspirations for, but I feel like I have like different inspirations for different things. Okay. But in like the writing world and kind of in the leadership world, I would say Lisa Bevere has been a huge influence on me and just mentor. I always tell this funny story because it was 
shortly after I walked through everything that summer with our losses and she kept calling me. And I didn't really have much of a relationship with her at that point. I just like, we knew each other indirectly through her son and it was kind of random. So I'm like, I, I want to talk to her. I think she's a super cool woman, but I don't feel like I'm in a place to hear like all the spiritual like knowledge. And I was yeah. like, I just don't want to have this conversation. So I didn't answer the first like two or three times that she called. And then for whatever reason, the fourth time she called or the third time she called, I just was like, okay, I'm going to answer because I feel like this might be God wanting this to happen. And we ended up having like a mm. two and a half hour conversation. And of course, it was like the most transformative thing to me. So anyways, she's been a huge influence on me, just especially spiritually and just kind of navigating that and also navigating being a leader while walking through your own mm. hard stuff. Lisa Turkers has been a huge mentor to me in the writing mm-hmm. space, helping me kind of figure out what to share, what not to share, how to package that into a book. And then I would say my mom too has been a huge influence and mentor, especially on the life side of things and how to integrate that professionally, but just kind of a safe space to be like, you know, okay, I need to be poured into, you know, I do a lot of pouring out. And so that's another one. And then I have one other gal in my life that's kind of like a mentor figure. I meet with her about once or twice a month for like a Bible study and a catch up. And she kind of serves as a mentor in my life. So some of them are probably more well recognized and the others aren't, but those are probably the four women that I would say in this season of my life have had a lot of impact on my journey. Javi Garcia asks, what do you enjoy the most about what you get to do right now? Hmm. I think what I enjoy the most is in terms of the type of work, I really love to podcast and to do like I have a couple of different programs and getting to coach women through those is really enjoyable for me. I love writing books and I love storytelling, but I'm also like fatigued because I've just cranked out two in the last like four years. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> I love it, but I'm tired. So yeah, I think getting to podcast is a really enjoyable medium for me. And um, getting to coach women kind of through some of the big questions in life, like, what do I want to do with my life? And what does God have me here to do? As well as like, you know, I've shared a lot of my wellness journey too, kind of along the way. So getting to speak into that side of women's lives a little bit too, is really fun for me um, and very life-giving. And um, yeah, I think those are the two biggest things that have been most enjoyable for me, in the, at least in this season. It kind of varies depending, but... You just perfectly segued to the next question. Tiff Lewis says, ask her how she can help me confirm whether I'm on the proper route in my in-between journey? Hmm, that's a good question. You know, a couple things. One, that com- brings me back to the seek counsel because we can be mm. so in our heads of where we're at and we're so emotionally attached to the circumstances surrounding us, the steps we're taking, the things we want to do that it really is helpful to seek counsel from those who've gone before us, who yep. are next to us and can see the path we're walking and aren't also maybe as on it themselves. So again, I think seeking counsel is so critical in so many situations in life. Secondly, I think, I don't know if she means like professionally the path that she's on or just with life. I don't know if you have a thought on that, but I don't know. <laughs> it just says the proper route. Yeah. And that's, that's a big term. It's like, well, what do you mean by that? But I think the other thing I would say, if, if it is professionally, because sometimes when we are in a transition season, sometimes transition seasons look like, like an in-between isn't always some horrible setback. Sometimes it's just like, I'm in between, you you know, seasons of life. Mm. I'm, I'm getting ready to get married, but not quite yet. Or I'm going to have a child and I'm not yet. Or we're going to buy a house next year, but we're not. So these kind of like transitional times of life where we're moving or growing or whatever, I think that's where I sometimes we start to feel this like wrestling of like, 
am I in the right career path for me? Am I doing what I'm called to do? And I really believe, I'm actually going to pull this up because this might be easier to say. I have a little blurb. Do it. Pull it up. Yes. So I teach a program. It's like a mentorship program that I teach for women. And it's literally the title across the top is what if you knew what to do with your life or at least what to do next. And my theory behind this is, I'm just going to read it to you. This is toward the bottom of the page. It says, I don't believe we have just one calling in our life. As our seasons change, so can our work and our calling. I think our foundational calling to like love God, love others and make disciples, like I think that doesn't change, but the way in which we do that changes. So hopefully that makes sense. And so then it goes on to say, the work you may have felt drawn to as a young adult may no longer suit you as a new mom or the job you thought you would love, but don't has left you wondering what's next for me. And I just want to affirm this is normal. I've actually found Mm -hmm. that most women feel the need to make a change every five to seven years or so on average, often due to our changing seasons of life. But most of us have spent so much of our life listening to other people's opinions or ideas of what we should do or could do that we don't really know what we truly value and therefore have no idea if what we're doing is right or what we want to do. So I guess I wanted to share that because I think sometimes we really get caught up in like, what's the right thing for me to do? And we get stuck and we almost wonder like, should I even be second guessing this? And it's like, I just want to affirm, like, if you're kind of feeling like maybe it's time to make a shift or I'm not sure I'm on the right path anymore because my life season is changing or I'm in between jobs or I'm in between seasons or I'm about to become a mom or whatever it may be, like, that's normal. And I think that's actually okay. And so I don't know the specifics of the situation. So it's kind of hard to give a lot of detailed advice, but I would just say like, if anything, I just want to affirm like your questioning yeah. that is actually pretty normal. <laughs> Jordan Lee Dooley is the author of Embrace Your Almost. You can get this wherever books are sold. Jordan, I want to mix things up today and ask you a throwback question I asked everyone last season. We are (laughs) called Viral Jesus for a reason. I'm curious your answer on this. Virtually all credible historians, Christian and non-Christian alike, Mm -hmm. agree that there is plenty of evidence that a man named Jesus actually lived and walked this earth 2,000 years ago. How can we, in this season, 2,000 years later, best communicate who Jesus was and what his mission is today? I think I'm going to give a little bit of a different answer than maybe okay. you've heard before, but I think this is especially important professionally. I think a lot of times we want to make faith a niche. We want to make faith a genre because what happens, I think, in our life is we tend to categorize like areas of our life. So like, this is my faith life. This is my family Mm. life. This is my work life. And I think sometimes professionally, especially in like business and things like that, we start to say, this is a Christian business, right? Which is fine. But it's like, I think the most important thing for us to remember is like, you're not a Christian business owner. You're not a Christian artist. You're not a Christian influencer. You're a Christian everything. So Mm. I think starting to shift our view, if we want to really share the gospel through what we do. I think the most important thing is for us to first shift our view of, no, 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 this isn't a category of my work or this isn't a a niche to, to shimmy myself into. It's actually a foundation. And if I can build everything else that I'm doing on that foundation, it's going to flow out of me really naturally. And I think beyond that, just kind of shifting how you view it from being, you know, category or niche. And I think that's become even more of a thing just because of the almost like Christian entertainment. And it's become mm-hmm. a genre in many ways through like the West. But I think it's just important to remember like it's not a genre, it's a foundation more than anything. And shifting from that perspective is really helpful just in how we go about working and how we go about living. But I also think to really engage in conversation and to be relational. I was at a conference Mm. actually about a week or two ago. And there was a couple there that owned a business and they were talking about how they're trying to you know, share Christ to their customers through their business, et cetera. And they were having a hard time doing that because they were getting some pushback from their community and feeling like maybe it's exclusive or whatever. And I said to them, you know, remember, 
whether or not you put Jesus in your branding or whether or not it's like forward facing, what you have to remember is Jesus was not, I think in the West, we tend to brand Jesus a lot. And I think that makes it hard to share the gospel at times. Not that it's bad to have him as a part like of what you do, but I think we f- sometimes forget Jesus was so relational. Mm. And so if we're not pouring into our staff, if we're not pouring into our colleagues, if we're not, you know, asking like, Hey, how are you doing? I know you've walked through something hard. Is there anything we could talk about? Is there something I could be praying for you about? Like just making the effort to engage that conversation, to open up the opportunity to to share your testimony, to share the gospel, I think is so important because I think we're so used to just putting stuff about on social media and not always engaging a two-way conversations. I think the mm. most effective way you can do that is through actual relationship. And that may not be with every single person you interact with on the internet. It may be with the people who work for you or work with you or you know, the handful of people that you get to touch. Like I even was talking to a friend of mine once and you know, speaking at different business conferences and conferences that aren't necessarily in like the Christian world, mm-hmm. I don't get to speak with every attendee that's there if there's 2,000 attendees. But I often find myself in hotel rooms with other leaders who are speaking. And I mm. think if I can share my story and share Jesus with them, I think that's going to be even more impactful than if I could just say something on stage to a crowd of 2,000. So just remembering like the relational aspect and pouring into those who also have influence or who touch your customers or who touch other people because they're colleagues of yours or staff of yours, like, I think we just sometimes forget how relational Jesus was. It can be hard to do when we live in a social media, digitally driven world. So yes, put the encouragement out there. Yes, share the truth on the platforms you can. Do all of that. But I think even more importantly, like make sure you're discipling. Make sure that you're Mm. in relationship. Make sure that you're being poured into so you can pour out and pour into others in real life and in real ways. So what can we learn from episode two of our three-week pod class on gaining self-confidence from Jordan Lee Dooley? Number one, embrace the tension. Embrace the tension of where you started to where you want to be. Jordan says, we can use this actually as a moment to slow down and to reassess and take a hard look at our lives and decide where we still want to go. Number two, redefine success. What does success even mean? Remember, words mean things. So I want you to actually write this down. You can email it to me, hello to heather at gmail.com. What does success for you even look like? For me, I have had to redefine success to my answering this question. If I can answer this question that I was successful, I always ask myself, Heather, were you faithful? Were you faithful? And if I was faithful, then I was successful. So let's redefine success. What does success look like to you? Number three, there are some dreams we may have to let go of. And what if letting go is actually what creates space for us to hold on to something better? Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week, we complete our three-week pod class on gaining self-confidence. What a journey this has been. I'm going to have a conversation next week. You don't want to miss this one. It's with former Mrs. Universe, Tori Hope Peterson. Her story and testimony is something 
that is going to have you redefining success and it's going to have you gain self-confidence in who God created you to be. I'm not kidding you. She was so inspiring. You are going to want to set your calendar with an alarm for next week's episode. Thursday, put it in your calendar right now. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus.